Today's episode is brought to you by our company, Sales Schema. Sales Schema helps agencies and B2B service companies build a reliable business development system through tasteful and targeted outreach. To learn more about us and check out our latest video training, go to saleschema.com slash take charge. A tech-oriented person, and you got the business-minded, creative innovator, and you put those two together, and you got a company. What do you do then? You build something, and you got clients, and you're selling, and you're scaling a little bit, but now you're on the trip. You're on a hamster wheel. That hamster wheel make it bigger and spin faster, but you can't get off of it to get the perspective of planning. Welcome to the Digital Agency Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Englander. Today's episode is brought to you by our company, Sales Schema. Are you tired of relying on unpredictable referrals to grow your agency or B2B service company? Yes, Dan, I am. So maybe you hired a salesperson or a lead generation company and your efforts failed miserably. So here's the problem. When it comes to selling agency services and other consultative offers, cold outreach doesn't work. And that's because there's so much competition and noise. And the scarce resource is not differentiators, at least not with the prospects who don't know you yet. So what's the scarce resource? It's actually trust. And at Sales Schema, we've worked with over 100 agencies and B2B service companies since 2014 to help generate qualified meetings and keep the pipeline full so our clients can achieve their dreams. And I've put everything we've learned into my book, Relationship Sales at Scale. And to learn more and pick up the book, you can do that by going to saleschema.com slash R-S-A-S. Again, that's saleschema.com slash R-S-A-S. Today on the show, I am very excited to welcome Tom Sullivan. So Tom is the CEO at Princeton Partners, which is an agency he's essentially led since around 1989 or over the past 30 years. And we were lucky enough to have an in-person interview, which is less common for us. And we had a very wide-ranging conversation. Please excuse the audio quality. We kind of had to improvise given you know the in-person office we were in in the West Village. But I think it's worth it because it was a lot of fun and we covered a lot of ground. Some things that we talked about, we talked about what it was like essentially being in an agency, being in the, the kind of old Mad Men era, moving into a newer era over the last 30 years. We talked about what it was like running an agency through 2008 and the specific lessons that Tom and his team are applying right now in perhaps a similar or comparable era. We talked about everything that went into Tom and his team's decision to become a pro-social agency and how it is affecting their culture. And we covered what it was like for him to develop acquisition as part of their growth strategy and everything he's learned from that. And we covered a whole lot more. So regardless of where you're at in your journey, I think you're going to learn a whole lot from this interview. And without further ado, please give it up for Tom Sullivan. Tom, great to have you on the show. Nice to see you. Yeah, this is one of our, our less common kind of in-person interviews that I wish we could do a lot more of. It's just kind of a logistical thing. Like, well, yeah. It's an eight time Friday. Exactly. Exactly. So we're recording this July fifth, oh, the day after the fourth, blistering humid ninety one degree day here in New York. The Japanese issue here outside sweating it out. Exactly. Here here in the West Village got a little bit of space. The triangles up in the street. So it's awesome. Yeah, it's great. It's great to have you. I think we were just talking before it's around the corner. I think this is a really great perspective on somebody who's been at this for decades, running the agency and kind of taking it through the, the waves of the of a recession. I got a lot of white hair, so I'll help people avoid some pitfalls. Yeah, me too. It's kind of telling me why. So I guess 
before we get into things, for those that don't know, you can talk a little bit about your background and how you got involved in the price thing. My background is in the advertising business, pure play advertising. I actually had my first gig in a very strong independent agency in Philadelphia, uh, where most of the leadership came out of New York. Uh, some big agencies at the time, NWA being one of them. It was a madman kind of episode for five and a half years. You worked your tail off, but you learned strategy, research, consumer behavior, business, margins. You learned the business model of your clients. So at the time, it was about an 80-person firm during my duration. It grew to about 170. It was a disciplined shop from the business perspective. It was hard. Yeah, so you're, yeah, 12-hour day was just the beginning. Yeah, I, I do my 12-hour day and go home and probably do two, three hours of homework every night just to survive. But what a learning experience. It was a very creative shop, a lot of market research and media, but uh, I think really I learned business more than anything from that. That's interesting. I guess, like, what do you think was valuable like, about that? Or if you could take away anything from that culture that we bring to today, you would, and what were the things were best left. The best thing about that culture was they were totally dedicated to measuring results. They developed annual plans for every client, quarterly plans. It was a very disciplined operation. It was more like an investment. The access to the hierarchy, I mean, one of the owners was an award-winning comedy writer, the famous guy. He was Dick Coffin. And uh, these people were bigger than life. It was a days when Scotch on the Rocks was very available around six o'clock in the evening and a couple of the folks would be smoking cigars around the agency and it was a blast. But what I think that I got out of more than anything was client empathy. It's like, okay, it's the client. You're going to make your client successful. You're going to do everything in your power, not only to do that, but to lead them, even if it hurts, yeah. even if they don't like you know what you're saying and that it's your job. Everything was about research to drive the insights, to drive strategy, and then to create the plan and the rationale to support the strategy and then to execute. And it was really awesome. There's a couple of things to, to dig into there. I guess the, the first thing you said that surprised me is the focus on measurement and performance. You always associate the old the pre-internet with nothing with measurable thing, right? It's like hand-waving, hey, there's this billboard and it's going to be work. That's but not the place to this place. And I don't think it was in any of the agencies in the 70s and 70s. Maybe in the 50s and early 60s, right? they were still tracking shares and customer volume at retail. But uh, we did spreadsheet before the refreshments. I mean, it was all hand done. It was all calculators. We ever, everybody had a secretary. Yeah, I'm a 23 year old kid and I had a secretary. But they're crunching numbers and we're literally putting together theories and using analysis. It's great. Like I said, it was hard. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was getting more fun. I thought it was going to be more about what you just said. Right. And we did do the TV commercials. And after a while, you know, they were not so much fun either. Yeah, to imagine. Let's do a sidebar and let's stop talking. How much work did you actually Because I watched down the Yeah, you know, it's like, after two martinis, like, yeah, you get anything done. Well, I was not a scotch drinker. Okay. And I was not a drinker for most Right. And I had one client. That was the other thing that's nice about being at this age. I focused on one client for two and a half, three years, and another client for the same amount of time. And that was it. That was part of their team. But one of those clients, every Thursday in the afternoon, we'd have a meeting at the London, the new London book. It was, let's see, I think it was on Chestnut Street, took off a market around 
12th, mm-hmm. 11th or 12th, and they had an upstairs section open, and we would have a couple of junior comics that just got to it. Yeah. With the product team and the marketing team, two of the best. I feel like people trying to bring that back, you know, in the early 2000s or whatever, and uh, it just it doesn't work. Cause now we had fun. They need to develop the relationship. It was like Chris. Right. We were in the boat together. I think the business, unfortunately, has got to conventional and performance-driven to an extreme and limits the possibilities that come out of drinking sessions like that on a Thursday afternoon or evening. Yeah, but I also, I, I'm going to butcher the actual stat, but I was reading something where it talks about how the amount of money people were making writ large compared to work uh, yeah. used to be way less. Like even if you go back to, oh, yes, you make way more money for way less work, and it's like, way less money for more work. For, for the opposite. Mm-hmm. Opposite was my experience. Right. Now, once you get to the higher levels, yeah, that's a different thing. You become a creative director, client services director, that's different. Yeah. And you got your expenses. I mean, even as a kid, and we're talking, we're talking 1981 here. Yeah. I have an expense account. They're expecting me to deliver on, as a KPI, they didn't even have to turn KPI. That, hey, Tom, we got to be delivering an average of $250 a month in client entertainment. Yeah. That was good. Because that's like, it's got to be like twelve fifty to fifteen hundred dollars, right? Right, a month. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that's that's a different time. It's a different time. It's a different time. It's great. And with that, look to, to zoom ahead a little bit. What was the progression like to kind of get involved in more of an ownership role in agency? Well, I wanted to move closer to home and have a life. Because yeah. that's not this. So, found an agency that we're fact-filling agency Princeton area. So, uh, New Jersey was. Pretty much uh, farms <laughs> in our area at the time, except for care maps. It's amazing. And a uh, great AC there called Gillespie, the guy who's visionary, was the opposite of Waitman at Rickenburg of, that was the first day he said, that was a very unstructured, creative shop. It was all about food. Now, the results would follow, but they had inspirational, creative leadership, and the executive director supported that. The owner who supported that and expected that. And we did get results, and I brought a discipline from the old shop to that agency. And that agency grew like wealth. It was crazy. Doubled its size from 39 to like, oh, like 80 people in two years. That was hard to do. But it was a creative shop where you were, it was less hierarchy, and you were on the front lines with your client, and you had one mission go make that client happy. Go do something really special. And by the way, Winston Grade on the long way. Yeah, let's think about it. What, what does it actually kind of feel like doubling from, you know, 39 or whatever it was to 50 in a year? Like, that was stress. Yeah. I put a lot of stress on the company. We were all tired, but we were, there was a thing that we knew we were good and we knew we were successful and we wanted the responsibility and the prize. And this particular owner gave me an opportunity and several others to experiment. So we had three mini agency groups within the, I led a team. So within a year, I got a team, and a team is 10, 10 people. Within two years, I have 18 people on that team. I'm running a mini agency with your creative copywriter, art you know, director, chief copywriter team, a media person who was a media planner, a production graphic assistant, account managers. I think it was a class. And within an agency, now we had other, hopefully we had the same larger media line operation, production department, the estimating department. We had those resources to tap into. So, to me, I was very risk, a big risk taker. I knew that And we did. Yeah. We had a list. That makes sense. And then I guess what, so from there, where did you go to the natural? 
Well, I got a call from uh, one of my clients, actually, uh, a therapy on Wall Street Journal. Client of mine. He came out of Wire and Hard. He said, Hey, Tom, I think I found something that you might like. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you mean? He says, Well, you already talked about doing something entrepreneurial. I said, Yeah. Uh, he, uh, he said, He's an opportunity in a little shop, for instance, the boutique. Yeah. Uh, it's mainly retail. You probably wouldn't love it, but you could probably do something with it because they're looking for a succession plan ownership plan. And uh, then I didn't do anything with it until I got somebody else to call me up with the same opportunity. They didn't know each other. Yeah. They said basically the same thing. I said, well, maybe I should check it out. So I checked it out. Four months later, I joined the firm. I had written a tender plan to grow the agency. I knew what she wanted to do. She wanted to exit in 10 years, and she wanted to take the shop with a million dollars of top-line revenue and grow it. I, they basically grew that top-line 600% and grew the bottom line from it. Where are we at this point? I joined the marketing line, and by 99, we went from the 99th largest agency in New Jersey at the time to number two or three in that 10-year period. And then I was already experimenting early in 95 and created a website. I hired a guy from the UK because I saw the future. Working on the Dow Jones business, they saw the future. We were doing not graphical user interface. We were doing DOS-based international marketing and advertising. In the eighties, before it was wet, they shouldn't have Google, but they didn't utilize the technology they had. Yeah, and I remember in MS DOS been playing like Monkey Island with my dad and not using plugins. It for me to back to that. It was even now. Yeah, it was pre pre that. You know, it was just it was crazy. It's what Bloomberg did too. Bloomberg beat him at the game too on, on the uh, financial side. Right. And one thing you said was interesting is like a ten year plan, which you don't. It seems like you don't hear as much about ten years. Is that one right now? Yeah. Like this, I always think you got to think big, even and you got to be flexible because right. we you break the ten year down into five, three, one. You break the one down into quarters. That's what we do, and we literally have a ten, five, three, one year plan. We have quarterly KPIs. We call them. We use EOS. Yeah, price operating system. We call them range. And we agree on five or six match rock, preferably five. What are we going to really accomplish that's going to make a meaningful difference on the business? Working on the business. In the business, not making the clients love you and, uh, and celebrating that success. It's, it's beyond that. It. It's like we're working on ourselves. Yeah. And what I think is interesting, because this is all very uh, time for, for us, because we're doing a lot of quarterly practice in the quarter and everything. And what I find to be hard is there's all, it's almost like it's a part of your work because you feel like you should be working in business. You feel like there's things talking you. Yes. It's, it's hard to make yourself sick. So, so it's almost impossible until you get from skin. Otherwise, you're going to kill yourself as an entrepreneur, right? If you have two entrepreneurs, usually you have a creative and an innovator. Like you have a, a tech-oriented person and you got the business-minded, creative innovator and you put those two together and you got company. What do you do then? You build something and you got clients and you're selling and you're scaling a little bit, but now you're on the trip. You're on a hamster wheel. That hamster wheel make it bigger and spin faster. But you can't get off of it to get the perspective of planning. Right. It's, let's go into that a little bit. So you're, you're joining up with Princeton. Can you talk and you're building this 10 year plan to get kind of a point around? It sounds like. Yeah, I'm buying stock based on growth. Right. What were the phases of growth like over the next two years? Like, and 
it could be glued to revenue, but more I'm more interested in like what the different phases feel like. When you're talking about the hamster wheels of fairies, when and how did that change or what the next phase would kind of see? So I think that the hamster wheel changed within the first year. Literally what we needed was a couple of decent pieces of new business that would change the trajectory and reputation of the agency from women's retail, creative, tactical advertising to something more strategic. And we won the bank roll up in Summit Bank at the time. So they roll up for a bunch of years and we won Philips Lighting International. We were doing North America. We did some international. So really North America, Canada, the US, Mexico. And we broke through creatively. So hiring a really great creative director at the time and then getting recognition, people were saying, how can this little boutique agency be beating out agencies with 150 people yeah. for Beckton Shop? How could that be? What are they doing there? And it wasn't that we were doing a lot of it. We were just doing, we were committing to those projects. We spent more time on insights and strategy with our clients and we convinced them that if you spend the time up front, the creative is going to produce results and you got to win. But, and you can, and they would say, well, you know, we rather see a range of creative ideas. And we said, no, if, and this was not my idea, this was my creative director's idea at the time. Says, the strategy has to sit on the head of a pin. But if you look microscopically, there's a million options on the head of a pin. So then what you want to do is you want to take a clear grad, audience, messaging, positioning, competitive difference and all that, those value props, and then create an umbrella concept that will drive engagement. Something new, something different, something interesting, something really appealing to that mindset. So, and we did that. And we rinsed and repeated that. For, and so that was the first phase. And all we did is we added personnel to those capabilities. The only capability we really needed to fill in was media. And we did. We did fill in the media capabilities. That was an additive thing to Princeton Partners. Yeah. The next phase of growth was I really saw the problem of lack of integration, both of my prior agencies. PR was a growing practice. And the web and interactive marketing was nascent. I saw it. We started the web development group. hired this guy from the UK. And then I found a PR person. And then we built the PR group and the web group. So between 1995 the year 2000, we had one person on the website and 11 interactive strategists. And we're doing now doing big projects for major companies. It was amazing. So that, that meant we scaled from about 15 or 18 people to 43 people. And that was then, now we're running it. And we had, we needed leaders in, in those groups. And we did. We had leaders. That makes sense. So we watched every place to One that's interesting. Um, the hamster wheel ceasing to exist when you hired the right creative director, the other right person. Because we had momentum, we weren't just churning out stuff to please a client. We had the high ground. We saw the whole perspective. We sold them on the strategy and the insight. They collaborated with us. We late enabled them to work. We created a process and criteria decision making for them. There were about five or six uh, components. We would literally grid the various positions and brand strategies against that criteria. And we knew where we wanted to lead the client, but that they needed to lead. Right. That makes sense. Like kind of going back and working on the business, obviously a big part of that is finding and hiring and training and throwing people. Yes. Can you talk about that? 
and thinking about that first major CV hire. As a quick break, I wanted to let you know about our newest video training, How to Take Charge of Your Agency's Future Revenue. By the end of this training, you're going to learn how we get two to five qualified appointments every week using tasteful and highly targeted email outreach. That might not sound like a lot, but once you understand the outreach napkin math, you're going to learn how this can lead to massive scale for your agency or B2B service company. In addition to that, you're going to learn the six steps for successful outreach campaigns based on everything that we've learned from working with more than 100 agencies since 2014. You're going to get the complete agency outreach tech stack so you understand the right tools for getting the right results. And you're going to see agency to brand email examples and get inspiration from high converting campaigns. So to get this 30-minute training, all you need to do is go to saleschema.com slash take charge. Again, that's saleschema.com slash take charge. From there, scaling from you know, 15 to whatever number was 40. First of all, I, I think the hardest thing to do is to find the right position, particularly with a lot of egos at the center of So finding somebody who has the chops and has been spoiled elsewhere and come to an environment where my rule was, we're all in this together. It's a foxy, not a hierarchy. And we have respect because we're all in it together. But you have to have openness. The hiring process wasn't too bad. I mean, we did use outside resources at the time because that was the days of, you pick up the phone, you had a headhunter or two, and they were just sourcing talent for you. But it was also the days of, you literally run ads and you get a hundred resumes and you have to sort through those. So what I did was I built a file of future hires. People I felt, this is an all-star. This is the person you love to use. They don't fit. And I you know, kept that file and I built relationships with those people and said, hey, we're not ready for you now. I don't think you're ready for us now, but you're awesome. Let's stay in touch. And we did. And we went back to the well. Yeah. That's that's really interesting. It's kind of important because it's sort of treating hiring as if it's more important, if not more important than service. Because you're essentially building that pipeline and everything from that, from the way it sounds like. Yeah, you know, honestly, the sales side of it was easy because we did some very basic things. You know how we had emails letters for that? Well, we published the newsletters on a quarterly basis, and then we had these other kinds of mailings. That we literally sent out to 500 people with, hey, here's a list of uh, 10 great articles that we've been scouring the press, different industries. Here's the BRE, this is a fly envelope. You can check off which articles you want, we'll send them. It was totally unethical. So we gave credit to the Wall Street Journal on a couple of occasions, but I don't think we're allowed to talk the material. So you might want to edit that out this way. We did that, but we have um, a reputation, basically, for consistency. It's all about consistency. Don't do episodic marketing. Stay in the game and be of help. That's 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 all leadership that content. Right. And I think that's what a lot of agencies struggle with, right? It's like you know, we have a lot of hey, we just want this big client, we're gonna put heads down and serve it, and then we're gonna come back up for air and go find the next big client. And then it just this is rich and repeat. So how did how did you get consistent? you could start in the early years and progress like you know, who is who is Yes. So, so I think it got easier as, you know, we got into social media, LinkedIn, and blogs. And I, I did a blog for about five or six years. 
admit we're early 2019 for personal reasons. Uh, and, but I, I had the team. I had the graphic artist. I had the digital expert. You can build and wishes. I had a podcast person who literally do the audio mix. And I was fun. I mean, yeah. I already had a team, but we agreed to a cadence where all they were going to spend on that was about two hours a week. So they carved out, I made a priority because I was the guy who was going to be writing most of the content, also sorted from the thought leaders of the agency. But you got what that requires, Dan. Once you make the commitment, you have to stick with it. So if you have to be up at five in the morning or up at midnight and you made a deadline for tomorrow and you came expecting because they're on staff, hey, Wednesday, I got to have that content by nine a.m. You have to make a connection. Yeah, so we try to be here with podcasts. It's every week. You know, and yeah, we can get backlogs and have some ready to go, but that is so bad because then you don't have enough stuff that you can stay on the ski. You have to keep it fast. But right. That's one thing. But I think that's the key difference is a lot of people have the resources, the difference between having the resources and then committing and figuring who's doing what. You can outsource it too. You can outsource it we have today. Right. But unless you have a point of view and you filter everything, everything through your point of view, for what you stand for and why you exist, what value creation you're going to create in the marketplace for which types of categories or client segments you're serving, don't even do it. Right. I think it's a way. Yeah, and for us, the point of view is always evolving, but I think one of them is is talking vulnerably about works in progress, right? And sure. Hard-learned lessons as opposed to just stuff. Like um, and, and I think with that in mind, can you talk about 2008? What was that like for you guys? A disaster. <laughs> Wanted to go on an island. Yeah. Right? You know? We're on an island right now. We're on an island. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, what happened was, in 2008, a couple of things came together, primarily driven by friends. One part went in a different direction. And the fact that I had refinanced the business, the buyout, get into that, essentially I was in debt. And when I had real estate debt, and financial debt, you don't have room to they have I'm not really have that salary for a year, and I'm going to have salary for a year. We, we cut back dramatically. Um, this was like the faucet we turned off. And once the shop was over and I realized I had no choice, yeah, I literally, uh, you know, living off the helmet with my helmet. Yeah. So when that happens, yeah, realize, well, the world didn't end, and business will change again. So what can I do now? And I came up with a couple of ideas to, to keep it going until the ad market ends itself. And people were ready to come spend money again. Can you talk about that? What were some of those ideas? Well, I got lucky on one. One of them was already in work from Northwell Health out here in Long Island that hired a firm, not just for its brain and advertising, but it hired a firm to do some innovative things. And they wanted to come up with a solution to end child, or at least direct child abuse to produce it. Because it's very high in their footprint. Big trend in uh, healthcare to mitigate that. And so we came up with a solution over a year. The pain is to develop a solution. We did a study group, a large one, doctors, nurses, parents, educators, you name it. And we came up with an actively worse concept that we can create these videos and show them in the classroom. Kids are mimicking their peers and they do these animated adventures in outer space, the human body. But they're getting a thousand steps and they're being challenged to move vigorously. Raising and lowering the heart rate, burning 50 calories, and then cooling them down 
that made them refresh. Well, this worked. They did, they did their own IRB study and took it to DC. So we have to have the traction there. So at that point in time, they were lucky because they weren't going to build an education company. But one of the partners there, I'm sorry, an executive vice president there called me and said, hey, we'd like to take, would you like to take this private? They just, they're not going to fund it. I said, sure. What do we have to do? Well, we have to put some money in and got to get some grants. And uh, you're going to have to use your agency to produce all the content, the website, and the marketing. Code. We did it. Dan, it was the best thing to get me through the setup and events because now I'm working with Microsoft. I got a break from Walmart, but primarily James and other small company. James, they sponsored this program, believed in it, and was willing to set the scale across America. We basically thanks to James. We reached half a million kids in the country. They funded the development essentially of additional content, videos, and we created online trackers and classroom content. So literally, it filled in a good portion of the gap. And uh, so that was lucky. The other one was simply, hey, you know what? I, I like startups. I know some people. Let's get some VCs to invest in some startups. We'll do short peak here on Friday afternoons. We did raise two and a half million bucks and invest in the same company. So it appeared a couple years. Yeah. And they could be some of those. Right. So it sounds like you just had an opportunity to just go really, you know, inside the box and, and try different things. What was the process like of landing on those two things called family work? Like, were there other, other like, you know, ideas that you killed on your family trying to fail down? Well, the first one I'll address is this idea of an incubator. We had a 10,500 square foot beautiful workspace, and that was it. Open ceilings, modern, it was really cool. Yeah, we had cool conference rooms and workplace, but it was half empty. So we, we said, how do we use the space? So we did, did bring in additional five other companies that needed the space to create a workspace on top of the incubator and one of those companies to support the startups. And we did, we put the magic formula together to do that. So that was more of like necessity is the mother of invention. Let's figure it out. Believe me, it paid bills. Did that, we ever get anything great out of it? No. But it was a great plan around and uh, kept me energized. That counts for a lot. That's right. So. What else, what were you thinking about when I asked because a lot of agency owners might be having similar quandaries about what is this all mean? You know, where do I go? What were you, were you thinking about leaving it behind at any point? No, I couldn't. I had no choice. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, I think the first uh, year of depression, <laughs> you just move on. I think what we're doing in the session series on our weekly right now, you know, I've been a blog called Insight Tuesday. And I think we've got, it, it's 12 parts. Series where I think we're into publishing great, and we're sharing our, our point of view on on how to approach recession. But it's a really healthy thing anyway. If, if a looming recession forces you to think of business and say, "Where are the vulnerabilities and risks?" Mitigate those now. And if it also says, "Where are the opportunities?" Start preparing for those now. And that's going to depend on every agency, digital agency, media company. Doesn't matter what it is. Uh, it could be a platform company. Uh, Somebody attached to the DSP world. I, I just think it's depends on what you where always come back to this. Where can I create the most value? Yeah, that's great. And having gone through this once, can you talk about your process a little bit? What's your process for kind of recovering those risks and so on? Well, the first thing we did so once we got back on the track is we got out of debt and we set aside work to control having the barn for the family might come. Uh, so not be worried. 
about money and being forced to lay off quality people if, if a really bad recession hits. So, so we made a commitment to our people to say, you know what? If it hits, we get runway. Nothing that anybody needs to worry about. Let's stay focused on growing our business. So I think that goes to involving your middle managers, even your entry-level folks for a couple of years in the business in understanding what the plan is and where the opportunities are and how we're going to invest in them. And then to reorient ourselves that way. So we, I'm not going to get, I don't think we want to get into the argument, but we have a 10 year plan. Our plan is to build a collective and we've already built a digital media company on the side yeah. over the last three years and then started small and bigger and now it's operating really well. And we just launched a digital uh, design studio, design studio, primarily design. It could be more than digital, but it's design, a lot of video too. But to separate those out from the core focus to the agency. So rather than the agency going to the world saying, hey, we're really great in media, uh, they can always get a better media. Oh, hey, we're really great in well, They can always find a design question. Hey, we're great in strategy insights, business driven insights, big ideas that drive the brain concept that you can rely on. It sits on the head of the pen, can break through and get the results. So the think tank is the principal partners. The supporting players were very important players from a business model standpoint in media and design. And then we have an acquisition strategy. The other thing that didn't get through the recession was brought in kind of an agency. Yeah. It come to the same thing we did. We literally shared. We shared resources that we both have really We shared resources. So it's bringing competition there, right? Can you talk more about that? How does that, how does that work? Well, that's everything I'm sure is. It was one of those things where, I don't know who made the first call, but we knew that everybody was in the same situation. There was another agency, a very large one in New Jersey. Uh, you know these people. And you call them and say, hey, how are you guys doing? Mm-hmm. Well, how are you doing? Not so good. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, it's been really tough. We've had to lay off people and a lot of expenses. How do you guys even pay your rent? Yeah. Because we are huge. We just get this for a long time. We got massive rent. Population forty five thousand a month, and it's going to put us out. I said, "Hey, let's talk about you moving in here. I got the space set, and it's a better deal you have. And let's, you know, we'll cost here, we'll cost here on the space, cost here on on the on staff, collaborate on new business. Yeah, it's something that's what we did. Is that is that still going or something that's in the past? Or no, what happened was that agency eventually sold out. The partner sold out. They had some media legacy media business. We actually acquired two of their agents and took on one of their staff members in the transition. And that worked out. We had a deal where we were bookkeeping the value creation and the cost. And they owed us some money. And we took an employee and we took an account they couldn't handle. Yeah. So it sounds like there's a happy ending. And I guess a lot of people listening might feel like it's not like a fox in the hand. How can we go wrong in different ways? And blah, blah. But it's like, it sounds like. You thought it was a creative way. Never felt threatened. Yeah. Never felt threatened. Not, not an iota. Again, we were talking about the Revolutionary War when we just got here. Yeah. What's going on in our neighborhood and fireworks last night. And we had 13 state militias, but we had a lot more fragmentation than that. Once you're in battle together, you, you find a way to cooperate. Right. And I think a big part of that, something you mentioned, is the idea of you know, where, where you can offer value, which is the real, like, it's a question that you have to sort of re-ask over again. Mm-hmm. But can you talk about that a little bit after this many years? Like, where do you feel like 
the values are and where you live for, for pricing. Like, what does it take to figure that out versus the areas where you're like, someone else can do this, a competitor can do it, a partner, whatever. Yeah. Uh, so, fortunately for us, our most important value proposition is client trust and really getting to know their business and investing in their business and being partners. So, Princeton Partners is 10 remain. What does a partner do? A partner will invest the risk and promise for future We'll invest in their client proactively initiatives that we're not targeting for. And then we'll surprise them the like new ideas. We look at every client's annual plan as an attempt to look and improve the KPIs year over year. So you know, we already have our month plans for this year, for the next year, for all the major clients. And we have finalized the KPIs. We're saying, how can we deliver more value to our clients? And let's look at that and say in uh, digital terms, right? So maybe the old terms are fucked with that impression. Now it's fucked for really, but it's really fucked for action and cost for even account acquired acquire cost. What do you can consider a conversion? You can find a conversion different ways. We'll look at the conversion cost and say, okay, so can it cost seven cents to have a completed video view, we want to get it down to six or five. And what can we do next year? And we're constantly saying, how can we improve the value creation on delivering more for less and the conversions? So we literally have multi-year look at how we've driven value and growth through the clients and reduced marketing investment as a percentage of total revenue. One thing that Keeps coming to mind that I've kind of seen research from your perspective and your history here is just like a focus on long term thinking, right? Mm-hmm. 10 year plans, shared risk with clients. But it feels like, especially like in a recessionary environment, there's so much pressure and pushing everyone to short term, helping people on the door, helping them feel for attractive to clients. I think they make this effective. I hate that. Because it feels so ingenuous. It feels like we're needy. Yeah. As opposed to, Really identifying an opportunity. Yeah. So I, I guess the tough question is, how do you, how do you stay focused a lot? You know, if, if you were thinking about this as if you were an athlete and training for a marathon and weightlifting, well, how do you build yeah. that muscle? You know, to stay. So yeah. So one of the things we committed to is vertical expertise. We're going to know the verticals we serve better than so the verticals that we serve are company models, particularly government state accounts, but we need. So we had the best performing COVID vaccine campaign in all of our states. The country, I think, maybe West Virginia and maybe beat us. It's a small state, but we outperformed by far. But that experience came out of the long-term focus on health and wellness on vulnerable populations and unique populations. Continuous vaping campaign we did, vulnerable populations, underserved populations. So that's a, that's a focus. So we have assigned leadership, right? Another vertical that I decided three years now that I don't need to, to kill myself 60 hours a weekend. Yeah. I'm not going to do community financials. That's it. Finance. Financial service. Banks. Banks. Great. And so I decided I'm going to become an expert in banking. And I did. So everybody's got to figure out. And I'm not saying that. I literally analyze the financials of banks. And I've hired outside market researchers and data analysts to do custom studies. I could have told you that after this SDB and the Republic failure, that the, the narrative is the opposite. The opposite is true. The smaller community banks actually have 
better tier one capital, better floor deposits, the total uh, as a percentage of their capital, which is sticky deposits, less expensive, less reliance on the Federal Home Loan Bank, broker deposits, which are rising with the rates, and lower net operating losses in charter and several other factors. And we looked at that tier of 5,000 banks, and we looked at big banks, the trillion dollar banks, the big to fail, the big to fail banks, the hundred billion dollar banks, the 50 billion, the five, and of course, under five billion, you get the 3,500 banks. Worth. So, guess who wins in that conference? The, the smallest, yeah. smaller banks. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. But I'm, I've decided I'm going to be a champion for community banks. I'm, and just gonna help community banks. And that's my brain thought leader right now. And there's enough work to be done there. Just yes. no answering. Right. Focus on on what's your best. We have three verticals, really good, four probably, but we really yes. We don't have to go outside. Right. That's that makes sense. Yeah. That's something we talk about. So I'm glad that you're mapping to to that. Right. Because there's there's so much complexity, there's so much to learn with every vertical. I mean we focus on agency and there's still new things that I learn every day up here. You know, can all those yeah. focusing on this much. But to switch gears a little bit, can you talk about acquisition, big plan to strategy, and kind of how you thought about identifying what makes for the right fit agency? I, I learned part of it. First acquisition we did was in 1998, and we hired somebody who had, it might have been 99, I think it was 98, hired somebody who had started running interaction. We went to Formula One, and she became leader of that group, and, and, and it did very well. It was a low-cost acquisition. We were buying two. We were not buying a lot. The second acquisition we attempted to do, and we did, we cleaned it in Lego too. And it was opportunistic. We always figured we wanted a pharmaceutical vertical because we're in pharma country in New Jersey and other places in the world for pharma companies. Yeah. And uh, we acquired a small firm that had eight people. It had a lot of life. And we learned the pharma business. But what I made, I mean, so we had, we made money. And that was actually part of our, it helped us stabilize and grow again. But the problem with that was leaders was really not committed to the long run. And we sat out the door of the day they had a different big factor. Had literally half out the door and show up for half the day and then three days, you know how it is. Nice person. Don't know. Really like the person. But I guess human beings have different priorities, different kind of life. But now it's we're, we've got two on the table and it's a combination of do they have the right values? We start the right leadership and right values. Can we work with these people? Do they have special sauce? Are they successful? Do they have a track record of success? Do they have complementary skills that will enhance, will enhance them and vice versa? And can they make, the, if they can make the commitment and we're in it together, we can create a win-win. That's the only way we do acquisitions. That's interesting. You know, of course, if you're if you're selling, you want the paycheck, and at some level, there's going to be a big paycheck if you're selling your agency. Yeah. And on the other hand, it's a people business, right? So, no matter how you structure it, you want that person involved. Yeah. Is there anything you've done, I guess, to prevent that from happening again, where somebody just checks out after the first big check? And I'd be like, well, well we have not met them. Yes, But just building a relationship and, and have fun. I mean, spending personal time with people and getting to know their their lifestyle and their priorities, what they do on the weekend, and, and then start, start working. So what we've also done this kind of unique is with the two companies I'm talking about right now, one in the south and one in the north, we're, we're collaborating. Yeah. So and it's not so much the tech drive. It's we say, hey, we like each other. Literally, two trips to the south uh, to meet with this owner and another partner 
trip to the South. I mean, three partners are up in New England, meeting all those folks and getting to like them and know them. And now we're working on stuff. How do we gel? And again, this is just while we're simultaneously developing the business plan for an acquisition that makes the ownership turn on so happy. But they can't be a tough negotiation about value looking in the rear of the mirror. That's going to be what are we going to create together? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then I guess on the other hand, for, for agencies that might be thinking about an acquisition for their own growth or for whatever reason, are there any deal breakers you know, from us? Like, yeah, you know, please talk about that. Yeah, when information is being held back and you know it and you get a feel for that, that's intuitive. You can quantify it. When uh, the negotiation starts out with the numbers and the numbers are, well, I'm already in conversation with someone's, and I've got interest over here. Don't set me up for competition when I don't even know you. Don't go there. Maybe that's the way it's done with bigger companies. They already know something. Public companies is another animal. Middle market companies, 10, 20, 50, 100 employees. It's all about the industry collaboration, the trust. Right, right. And then if that is real, it exists, it does exist, that's something that comes much later. You know, it can have a difference, but at the beginning, because I'm thinking about that too from a sales perspective, mm-hmm. being on both sides of the table, and when people bring out scarcity, whether it's real or fake. Too early, it's just the ultimate bad case. It's bad case. Yeah, the sentiment was. Exactly. So that makes a lot of sense. Well, I know we're kind of getting into the, the end of our time here. Yes. For the time we have left, one thing I know that we talked about is that you guys are looking to be I think it was so good in that day. Just I'm glad you made it. Yeah. yeah. You know, that. good. You seem to be able to do your this week. No, so here's the deal. Here's the deal. We've always been involved in our communities in the areas of homelessness or food insecurity or education in uh, underserved communities. That is the meaningful work that we do. We, we see it as a privilege and it's a responsibility. So for years, we've basically been tithing or giving 10% of our work capacity to a cause. There was Special Olympics in Jersey for many years, and then it was uh, Charities of Greater Trenton for many years, and then it was Boys and Girls Club, one of the top performing clubs in the nation in Trenton and building capacity and helping them expand their capacity. You know, those things have resulted in a world headquarters and only one person with the best Olympic movement in the world. A brand new facility that more than double capacity for what boys grow up. I mean, and we feel part of this. And we are. Ending homelessness in Trenton, New Jersey by leading that effort with a hundred a coalition in the early thousands in four years, it's now coming back in the last three, four years in a different shape and form and now working on the New Jersey Alliance. But we have two partners, my son Chris and Kevin Kaczynski is a is an actual I call him a boy scout. He he's he always wants to be solving problems. So he ran for mayor after his stint at two two jobs at P and G. He ran Swiffer, branding and globally and then he did he got some arm and hammer arm and hammer obviously clean oil deterred growth from percent the number two market share. Yeah. And he's then he said, you know, I want to just take a break and uh, invest in a lot of things and Run for mayor and work in conservation and environmental protection and smart development. And that's what he does on the side and he's having fun. Yeah. The three of us completely aligned on this. So we created a foundation, we're just moving into the foundation. And we literally put money in us, a lot of money. Our goal is to have 100,000 projects and then to grow it to infinite and then to grow it to money. 
put, and then to mix that in services and to adopt nonprofits, that really is going to be a good thing. And that, that's interesting, right? This is it's kind of really deals with it, but has it affected the culture at all? Like not just with you, with between the partners, but with the team? Is there anything that you're seeing? Absolutely. We, yeah. we, we did a labor love for one of the largest and leading innovative soup kitchens in America called TAPS, Trenton Area Soup Kitchen. It was hard work. A board, volunteer organization, a lot of complexity. Just changing the logo was very, very hard. But we have a new brand, new color palette, new website. We did some research up front and walked away. And then at the end of that, all of that process brought in, was able to get hired this time in a different assignment. So we mixed pro bono with some paid to cover our cost. We're probably well into it, probably 50,000 pro bono, but they're amazing people. You want to see who's dedicated and innovative? You go check out this soup kit. They're Operations people, their food people, their distribution people, their they wrap around services, they they have a holistic approach, the art programs, the music program. They'll work collaboratively with five or six different organizations, get something else, get a paycheck and Yeah. You know, it's amazing. It's it surprising the why there's so many you know, the most not not every company, but the most people private. They're inspiration. They inspire. Right. You can also inspire from culture. All our people are inspired by what they do. You get to know them and the clients they're serving, and like all of a sudden, you feel like it's one world, not ten. Yeah, and it seems like a good thing to normalize because there's other industries like the song of lawyer, and most law firms have a percent of the pro bono work they do. Why not? Why not do this as well? So mm. that makes a lot of sense. Tom, this has been so much fun. And we hope we can do it again. We covered a lot of great There's always plenty of areas we didn't cover all about new business and sales and everything else you're up to. But I guess after, you know, 30 years of doing this, can you talk about what's, what inspires you? Like, what's the next thing beyond what we've talked about already? I think it's your morning. In addition, the community benefiting working on what would be a national coalition to bring attention to different big banks, the value they bring, the safety, stability, and the community to reinvest. That's a, that's a big project. And bring people alongside. What charges me is what's going on locally. I can't impact the direction of a country or a nation or a state phrase, but I can make a contribution on my neighborhood. And I'm looking for opportunities. I work with volunteer movement with food bank for nights. They're awesome people again, they're under resources. And I'm picking up the So to me what gets me up in the morning is the joy of being with people and uh, making a contribution. And how lucky am I to have an AC on the side? Uh, with great people growing it and uh, the same values and vision. So that's, uh, that's all I'm going to figure out. Awesome. Got a great notes to end on. And thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you, Dan. Loved it. Enjoyed meeting you in person. And thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, likewise. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode. Again, today's episode was sponsored by our company, Sales Schema. Sales Schema helps agencies and B2B service companies build a reliable business development system through tasteful and targeted outreach. To learn more about us and check out our latest video training, again, you can go to saleschema.com slash take charge. Again, that's saleschema.com slash take charge.